Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Families provide love, support, and guidance to their children. As time passes and kids grow up, they venture out into the world on their own. But for young adults living with intellectual and developmental disabilities, that transition can present a lot of challenges as school-based support falls away. And many families don't have the resources to provide constant care and guidance. Later this hour, we'll learn more about what it's like for these young people and their families. And we'll visit a production company that helps these young adults realize their creative dreams. But first, we've got some exciting news. This is Nashville producer Rose Gilbert is making a move. A few strides down the hall to WPLN's news desk. Rose is our station's new general assignment reporter. This means she won't be a staff producer for the show anymore, but she will be our go-to fill-in producer. We're really excited about all this, and Rose joins us now to talk about the move and to look back at the past year or so. Hey, Rose, how's it going? It's going well, Khalil. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you here with us and the desk for the first time. First of all, congratulations on the new job. Thank you. Thank you. It's funny enough, you know, when I think about the first time you've been on the show, this is your first time live on the show, right? Yes. First time on the other side of the mic. You feel nervous? No, never. Great, because you're the consummate professional. You know, you know, you have been on the show several times over the past year and a half with audio stories that you've produced. In fact, two of your stories just won Regional Edward R. Murrow Awards. Which, for those who don't know, is a very big deal in the broadcast world. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, It means a lot to be in a newsroom that supports my work like that, enough to submit it. And it means a lot to be on a team that contributed to those, especially, you know, our executive producer, Andrea Ted Hope, who edited all those and, uh, you know, uh, made me kill my darlings in the best way possible. <laughs> you did a great, great job. You know, so let's let's talk about one of those stories now. It was the first feature you produced, which won the Murrow Award for Feature Reporting. It aired a few weeks after we launched our show in an episode about our local LGBTQ community. I can honestly say that I feel like I have done more of God's work spreading love and helping people than I ever did in church. Of the valley, my bright and morning star, I don't care what people say. I'm going down on my knees today, and I'm going to wait, wait right here until he comes. So that was John DeValentine, um, one of the co-owners of Lipstick Lounge. Um, she's actually a pastor's daughter. Hmm. Um, and one of the things that she kept telling me and that I kept hearing from patrons of the bar was that Lipstick was their church, um, especially for folks who you know didn't feel comfortable in the churches they grew up in or felt rejected by them. And that idea of like finding church, finding community is something that stuck with me throughout my entire term as producer. Now, so that feature came from our time at This Is Nashville, our, the time our team spent out in the community before we launched the show. Tell me, what else did you learn during those months that really informed your interest as a producer for our show? Yeah, so something our listeners might not know is before the show launched, we spent about six months out in the community 
Good to know y'all, um, which was especially important for me. Um, you know, I'm from right up the road, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so taking that time to get to know the city, the history of the city, its neighborhoods, the people who built it um, was really vital. And a lot of the connections that I made during that time ended up informing the episodes that I created, you know, including that episode on the history of the LGBTQ scene um, and, and others. Um, for example, an episode about navigating Nashville with a disability. So looking back at the past year and few months, what are some of your favorite episodes you produced? Come on, Khalil. That's like asking me to pick like a favorite kid. Um, that's a hard question. Um, you know, they're the fun ones, right? Like actually the final show that I produced for This Is National uh, just just a, a week or two ago was on rodeo culture. You know, mm -hmm. as a Kentucky girl, I'm no stranger to horses, but it was my first rodeo episode to steal your joke. Um, but and then talking with the cowboys and the rodeo clowns and the rodeo secretary, which is a position I didn't know existed, mm -hmm. was a blast. Um, but also the more serious episodes, you know, um, I've worked with our executive producer, Andrea, to create that format, uh, the, uh, Citizen Nashville, which is really all about connecting folks with resources um, and kind of news you can use um, and hearing from folks afterwards who were able to connect with resources uh, or find information they needed, uh, you know, whether that was to, uh, you know, help get help building a ramp at their home or file their taxes. Uh, you know, th those are the conversations, a lot of which happen off air that will always kind of stick with me. Now, obviously, or maybe not so obvious to outsiders, producing a daily show was a lot of work. Tell me, how did you work to prioritize the community while managing to produce two episodes per week and several feature stories along the way? So as you're kind of hinting at, time is definitely at a premium when you're working on a daily show. Um, when you do have the time to build a new relationship, it's important to maintain it and kind of keep going back um, you know, every person has more than one story to tell and every person knows people with stories to tell. Uh, so like last August, we were off the air for about a week to give us time to do community engagement. And I went up to Gallatin to interview a woman named Patricia Kelly Adams about her memories of a black county fair that took place there, which is actually where she met her husband. It was very sweet. And kind of as she was seeing me out the door, we're on the porch chatting. Uh, she's like, you've got to come to church with me. Um, and she, she tells me about this church. Yeah. Mine's a 150-year-old church. Oh, wow. They built a church on the same rock that the slaves used to worship. They had to come down on the rock. So, you know, I went to church with her. I mean, when, when Patricia Kelly Adams asked you to come to church, mm -hmm. you go. Mm -hmm. um, St. John's Missionary Baptist Church in Hendersonville. Um, and Patricia and Pastor Bell and some of the congregants, including Dr. Julius Brinkley, were gracious enough to share their stories and share their memories and even some historical documents like a deed from 1891 to kind of put together a profile of this historic black church that they grew up in. Um, and so being able to go back to people, find more stories and, and make new connections in a slightly shorter time frame is, is key for, for keeping that community engagement up. And so it's been a grind sometimes, but it's also been fun too, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a great, it, you know, sometimes it, it gets, it can seem hectic to outsiders, but for us, it's, we're operating in the eye of the storm, I believe. There's definitely that <laughs> sense. <laughs> now, speaking of fun in the chaos, let's hear a clip from the feature you did on the, our episode about hockey. So I actually worked for the Preds on the ice crew for a couple of years there in the late 2000s. Um, okay, how did that happen? Okay, how did that happen? <laughs> yes, you heard that right. Longtime Preds fan, first-time fossil detective, Aaron Dieterwolf. 
So over the years, that display got reorganized a couple of times as the bank was, was bought and sold to different organizations. And at a certain point, the fang disappears off display. All right. Let's give props to our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope, who edited both of those pieces that won those Edward R. Regional Edward R. Murrow Awards. You know, let's tell listeners a little bit about what goes into the pre-produced stories that we tell on This Is Nashville. Absolutely. So that clip you just heard from was Aaron Dieterwolf, who's an archaeologist, um, and he was telling me a little bit about the uh, original fang that inspired the Pred's logo and um, mascot, which did go missing. Um, and it was part of kind of this this broader convoluted story about this missing fang and saber-toothed tiger that was discovered. Um, and when you are reporting a story like that, it's really important to find uh, find the best people to talk about it, right? So tracking down people like Aaron, who not only can give you the facts you know, as an archaeologist, but also have a personal connection to the story um, and, and bring some humanity to it is very important. And the other thing that's important is finding ways to use sound creatively to break up the talking back and forth, which we do a lot of on on, on a daily show. Um, you know, you might have heard in those early clips, for example, Jonda singing or the cicadas humming in the background when Patricia's talking. Um, those little things that you can bring in to to make the stories more evocative and kind of bring the folks at home along with us as we venture out of the studio. All right. Now on to your new job. Back in the day, W the WPLN newsroom was so small, basically everyone was a general assignment reporter. But we've come a long way from that. Our newsroom has grown a lot and we've added specific beats like education and environment, just to name a few. We've created an official general assignment role. What are your hopes for this new job as WPLN's new GA reporter? Yeah, well, you know, a big part of my job is going to be working with my colleagues who are beat reporters to kind of fill in those gaps. Um, one thing that I really hope to deepen our coverage on is housing. I mean, as you are mm. always so fond of saying, the rent is... Too damn high. Absolutely. So um, that's something <laughs> that I really want to keep reporting on and kind of deepen our coverage there. But something I'm really excited about is that as a reporter, as someone who doesn't have a specific beat, I'll get to keep talking to all kinds of people about all kinds of issues all over Nashville and beyond. Um, so... You know, if uh, if you have a story you think needs telling, find me on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. And hey, look, y'all, if you know Rose like I do, you know that she is ready to hit the ground running. So tell us, what are you working on now? Yeah, so I officially started this role last Monday. And so far, I've definitely lived up to that idea of covering a lot of different things. I started out covering entertainment, transportation, vehicle permits, then the mayoral race. But one subject that I started covering last week um, is actually a follow-up to a This Is Nashville show we did on the future of the Community Oversight Board. Um, and last week, I kind of brought you an update about that, about what they're looking at, to, looking to do after Governor Bill Lee signed a bill kind of abolishing them and setting them up to be replaced by a less powerful review board. And that's a story that I'm going to keep following this week through the summer and into the fall to kind of see um, how that board is replaced and how the community reacts to it. Awesome. We're rooting for you, Rose. And thank you for all of your incredible work on this show. I'd say we miss you, but you're really not going too far. My desk is actually closer to Andrea's now than it was before. <laughs> <laughs> Rose Gilbert is the new general assignment reporter at WPLN. Rose, again, congratulations. We'll be seeing you soon. Thanks, Khalil. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn how young adults with disabilities navigate through the transition after high school and how their families find support. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil Ikulona, and this is Nashville. Throughout the month of May, thousands of high school seniors across Middle Tennessee hear their names announced and receive their high school diplomas. It's a great accomplishment and a big step toward the future. For students with developmental and intellectual disabilities, that future is one without the support staff and specialized education they've become accustomed to during their time in school. It will now be up to their families to create and provide a new plan of support. So what does this transition look like? And how do people navigate it? My next guests are in the midst of that transition right now. I'd like to welcome Franklin High student Clay Booker and his dad, Barry Booker, to This Is Nashville. Clay, Barry, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Khalil. Sure thing. It was an honor to be here. Oh, it's an <laughs> honor to have you with us, Clay. So, Clay, let me start with you. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing awesome. And I've just had a cookout with my favorite teacher, Miss Megan, who's about to actually who is a who's having a last year um of being my own teacher i've been following in her footsteps for so long mm-hmm. that's really awesome man um tell me this you know I, I i understand that you're in this transitional program at franklin high school can you tell me a little bit more about it sure um we get to go shopping on tuesdays we go to the transition academy and have this lesson with Mr. Carson. Thursday, we go to the rec center. And on Friday, well, we just stay. You stay at this campus. Tell me, you know, what what are your favorite days? What are your favorite things to do? Well, being loyal to Miss Megan is one of them. Mm-hmm. How special is Miss Megan to you? I, very special. That's really awesome. Now tell me this, how has the program been helpful for you? Well, I was learning new things and that should be completely accurate. What's the next step for you? Oh, oh, the, the next step? Yes, sir. To where? In life. What are you looking forward to? Going to Lipscomb University for two years. My first year in Lipscomb, I would like to work in the hotel. And the second year of Lipscomb, I would like to work as a dog groomer. And after I graduate college, I'm going on to my own business. What type of business do you think you may open? What, what's the idea? Well, I might surprise you. I'm also not just, you're going to like this about me. I'm known as a house pirate, a friendly house pirate. A friendly house pirate. Okay. I really dig that. I dig that, man. Look, when I was your age, I wanted to be a space pirate, but unfortunately the college did not offer that major. No, tell me this, you know, have, are you nervous about anything about this transition that you're going through? Oh, am I nervous about, well, some, so far, um, 
some challenges I'm working on is getting along with some people I don't like as much. That's a challenge for all of us. That's a challenge I face yeah. all the time. How are you able to meet that challenge? Well, because whenever someone says or does something to me that's very way out of line, I probably would have distanced myself from him or her even longer than I thought. So what do you do now? Well, I just, I just continue being myself. Mm -hmm. That's a lesson for all of us. Now, you know, we're really excited for you and this next step that you're taking at Lipscomb. What are you most excited about for your future? I'm excited about learning about hospitality. And yeah, that's what's going to happen in my first year at Lipscomb. And best of all, after I graduate Lipscomb, I'm going to move to Chattanooga with oh. my mom. Okay. Okay. My, my, my mom and dad split up in a divorce. It tore the family apart. I understand. I understand that, my friend. But, it, you know, a long time ago, a similar thing happened to me. And um, it's through the love and support of friends and family that you're able to make it through. But talking to you, I have a feeling there's nothing going to stop you from doing what you want to do. Now, Clay, I know you got to get back to school, so I'm going to let you do that. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day and really being to be on the show with us. Craig, congratulations on this next step and the best of luck to you, my friend. Sure thing, me hearty. Yes, that's sir. How I speak as a that's how I speak as a house fire. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll see me wearing a bandana, a black hat, and a vest. I even wear boots and a tucked in shirt with a belt. Man, you are ready to go, everyone. That is Clay. Booker, who is set to begin the ideal program at Lipscomb this fall. He's also your neighborhood friendly house pirate. Now, Barry. Good job, son. We'll see you at home. All right. You got a great kid there, Barry. <laughs> oh, man. He is the sweetest kid in the world. You know, as Clay's dad, how are you feeling about this big transition he's going through? Well, it's it's fine at this point. For so long, it's just been uh, one day at a time mode. You know, when I first heard of the diagnosis for Clay when he was three and a half years old, the immediate thoughts are, oh my gosh, what's his life going to be like? Will he ever get married? Will he have children? And then, you know, pretty soon I just wound that back to, okay, what are we doing today? All right, we got to get up and get to school. Okay, let's do that. And then we'll just let, uh, we'll let the chips fall where they may on the future. But now the future has really has really come close mm -hmm. uh, as he is, you know, has moved through high school, is into these postgrad programs. And, you know, I am really nervous. He's in the one day at a time mode now. <laughs> and I'm starting to think about, OK, what are we doing this summer? Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, what school is no longer an option? You have another adult son. Yes. Tell us about Brian. Brian is 18, Clay is 20, and uh, Brian is quite a bit more challenged than Clay. You know, Clay can can take on the world, loves loves being social, loves being around people. 
Brian is very much an introvert and is not very verbal and uh, does not like being around people. And so uh, things are quite a bit more challenging for Brian. And uh, it just seems like for him that uh, Brian and I are going to be together uh, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll just kind of see where it goes. Now, Clay mentioned this, that you've been raising the boys on your own. Yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of challenges and difficulty you face doing that? <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, just them getting home after school um, and being home alone. Uh, it's been a year now. And so last summer was was really difficult uh, with trying to get to work and not having a lot of programming for them during the day. Um, but they have they have been able to handle things very well on their own at home uh, for a few hours at a time, and so I don't don't worry about them so much at this point. But it was a, a big transition a year ago, and um, and with with school when they got started was when school's in session things are so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get home from school, get off the bus, get their snacks, and they're fine for a few hours after school. How have you? found this help and support that you needed? Uh, that has been difficult. Um, uh, different support programs through through church and just in the community. And um, I have a big family. I'm the 12th of 12 children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just trying to keep in touch with my siblings and um, just trying to get out as much as I can and and be around people. And, uh, you know, it's just so easy to get in isolation because the boys do need me at home and I need to be at home. Um, and, but just making that effort and kind of forcing myself, get out, be around people, be social and um, and just, you know, not get into that mode where I'm home on the couch all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking this hour about the transition into adulthood for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. You can share your stories by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. Now I'd like to bring in my next guest. Dave Krikat is Krikak, pardon me, is a parent and longtime advocate. Dave, thanks for being with us today. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for having me. You, know, you have an adult daughter, Sarah, yep. who lives with autism. She's 41 now. I want you to take us back to that time for your family when Sarah was graduating high school. Yeah. yeah what I'm was s- that experience like for you and Sarah? Well, I'm so excited to hear Barry's story because mine's just 20 years ahead of that. So Sarah was uh, involved in a transition program. She had a phenomenal teacher, just like uh, Clay was talking about his teacher, Jan Lincoln. She was uh, the transition teacher at the time. And it was the first time that they, at Centennial High School, where they uh, started this transition program. So they were getting them out in the community, teaching them life skills and social skills and just getting them outside the school. Uh, so from 18 to 22-ish, they can get into this transition program. And the goal is to teach them some life skills. And um, at that time, because it was so new, there just wasn't a whole lot of opportunity out there. So we walked through the same thing of what's it going to take to get her to find her purpose, you know, her God-given gifts and talents. How can we explore those? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they went to... Um, CC's pizza and they were replacing like salt and paper shakers and stuff with salt and pepper. And I thought, well, let's, let's work on like a skill, you know, like a, a, a job type thing. And the more we looked into it, the more we found out that the unemployment rate and today is still like 85% statewide mm-hmm. for adults with special needs. So that transition to employment is really a big, big step. 
Um, I understand you took matters into your own hands. Yeah, I kind of prayed about it and said, who's going to do something about this? And I felt the tap on my shoulder. And it was like, uh, you are. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. So we had, my wife and I were considering what to do. And like I said, we were looking into unemployment issues and it was just like, it was crazy. So we thought about starting a nonprofit and that happened pretty darn quick. And then uh, partnered with the ARC and uh, talked to them about maybe opening a thrift store. Applied to Middle Tennessee Electric's Operation Roundup. They gave away grants and miraculously within a few weeks they contacted me and said, yeah, what are you planning on doing? I said, I think we should start a thrift store and employ a bunch of these special needs adults that are unemployed in our community. They said, oh, sounds good. Uh, do you have any retail experience? I said, mm, none whatsoever. Hmm. But uh, the way it worked out perfectly was, you know, a couple of weeks later they contacted me back and said, we decided to give you the $5,000 that you applied for. Well, the rent on the building on Columbia Avenue in Franklin was 3500 So I thought, we're going to do this thing. So told our pastor at the church, hey, this is something I need to do. And he said, well, we need to get the church behind you. So uh, 45 days later after announcing it, all these people showing up, helping us build the place out, painting it and fixing it up. <laughs> we had the Tennessee Titans out there and, and uh, Kevin Carter and his wife, Shima, if you remember mm -hmm. them, were there. And he brought a bunch of guys there signing autographs, giving away hot dogs. And mm -hmm. 45 days later, we launched the thrift store and we made $5,000 that first day. Well, I had four special needs adults wow. hired before we started. What were the early stages like? Of starting the thrift store and yeah. getting that going, it was uh, it was a, it was a leap of faith. But I think the community needed that opportunity. Uh, they were, you know, I was running around my pickup truck picking up stuff, but also the community really adopted the fact that we were there in the community. They were bringing them us their stuff, whether it's the you know the household goods or clothing, and and we became a part of that community. And for fifteen years. We uh, ended up uh, hiring 25 young adults with disabilities mm. and 25 people to work with them. 50 employees were funded by them donating stuff. Mm -hmm. And the community really took responsibility. And, and it was a huge part of that community for 15 years. Now, you know, Sarah worked there as well. Yes. What was her experience like? She loved it. She started off just not really having some, you know, she, she volunteered uh, at... Uh, a horticultural program out in Leapers Fork for a while, and she she enjoyed getting out and and was learning what it was like to to be social with other people. But when she worked in the thrift store, she's now interfacing and talking with and you know growing in a in a community environment where the public gets to come in, and that's the key is the public needs to participate and and kind of help our young adults grow up in a safe environment. That's what the thrift store gave her was the ability to socially figure out what it's like to show up, to have a job, to pack your lunch, to interact, what to say, what not to say, mm -hmm. what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. <laughs> uh, all the things that we take for granted, they need to learn. And that was huge for her. Now, Barry, when you hear Dave talk about his daughter like this, what hopes do you have for your sons? Oh, I'm I'm sure that Clay would would fit into that kind of situation just mm -hmm. just extremely well. You sound like um, a real good salesman. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and he he just like I said, just very social. Uh, so I'm I'm confident that there are going to be possibilities and opportunities, especially for Clay. Um, like I said, with Brian, uh, quite a bit more challenged and a little more concerned about about what happens with him and, and what kinds of things I'm going to be able to get him involved in. 
Tell me, what do you want people to know about young adults with disabilities? I think the first thing is just to remember that they are people and just like everyone, they want to be accepted, they want to be loved, they want to fit in. And uh, having these job opportunities is a is a huge part of that uh, for adults. And um, yeah, I think there is some nervousness and um when you hear that there are going to be 25 special needs kids working in the community or something along those lines, that people might be might be very concerned about that. But, I mean, anybody who heard Clay in the few minutes that he was on the air would, would understand, mm-hmm. yeah, this, uh, this is a big, you know, 230-pound young man. Looks like he might be a little dangerous, but he is just as sweet as he can be. Mm-hmm. He sure is. The friendly neighborhood house pilot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That is Barry Booker of Brentwood. He is the father of Clay and Brian Booker. Barry, thank you again for being with us today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And Dave Krikak will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll pay visit to a local production company that makes folks with disabilities the stars of the show. Join us by, join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. As we've been hearing, young adults with disabilities and their families need support as they transition out of high school and into adulthood. Support in finding jobs, finding a full-time caretaker, finding affordable housing. But what about finding joy? That's the simple mission of a local nonprofit called Backlight Productions. It's a theater company for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. They've got a show coming up this weekend at the Nashville Children's Theater. Our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope, got a behind-the-scenes look as the cast rehearsed last week. It's a busy afternoon at the Backlight Productions studio in Brentwood. A few dozen actors flood across the studio floor to take their places. It's the second to last rehearsal before the big day this Saturday. And the show? Beauty and the Beast. full Broadway musical, not edited or anything. That's executive director and founder Melissa Smith. She came up with the idea to start Backlight Productions years ago when she was working at our thrift store in Franklin. It's a shop Dave Krikak started to employ local young adults with disabilities. As I got to know my friends who I was working with at the store, I heard so many of their dreams and desires. You know, I wish I could be on Broadway someday. I I would love to play, you know, the role of Belle or, you know, the princess or something. And it always made me feel just kind of sad knowing that if they came into a typical theater setting, you know, likely they were not going to be casted in those roles that they always dreamed of. So one day in 2011, Melissa went home and she started writing a rendition of Cinderella, added a piano score, and then brought it back to her coworkers. 
They rehearsed upstairs at the thrift store with 10 employees in front of about 40 people. After that, it was just, we knew we had something special. That's how Backlight Productions came to be. I thought it would be such an amazing experience to give someone to be able to play the lead role. And it didn't matter if you were, you know, quote unquote, the best or you had to perform perfectly all the time. If theater was more about the performer rather than the performance itself. And it's, such, it's just such a freeing thing to work with this community because everybody's just so loving and accepting and encouraging. And I thought, wow, theater could really be used in a different way. She opened the nonprofit a decade ago this year. And in that time, they've put on roughly two to three shows every year. For each production, there's a support staff with nearly as many volunteers as actors. They work backstage as crew, make the costumes, and go on stage to assist the actors. They've also got a few professional actors, like Ronnie Meek, who plays Belle's dad, Maurice. And it's just a great group of people to be around. And they're, and they're always so full of life. It's a delightful group of, of guys to work with. Uh, it's a lot of fun backstage because as they're getting ready to go on stage or the excitement after they've been on stage, it's infectious. This production features 50 actors with disabilities. They do multicasting, assigning multiple people to one role, which relieves that pressure to be perfect and learn an entire part. And so we have about four bells, we have two beasts, about four Lumieres. <laughs> one of those Lumieres is played by Patrick Todd. I really just like being on stage. And his favorite line? Oh, Michelle, that was there. It's with the deepest pride. It is with the deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now we invite you to relax. Let's pull up a chair as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. Ella Schaefer plays one of the silly girls who chase after Gaston. This is a great, and she is going to be a great um, play. But she also gets to be Belle. We realized that it was every girl's dream to be Belle. And, you know, what, what more important part is there than when they come out in that big yellow ball gown and get to dance? And so we decided to let every single one of our actresses be Belle. And so we actually got everybody a huge yellow ball gown. And all of our men have blue vests and gold ascots. And during Taylor's Oldest Time, it's going to be a giant Belle flash mob where all the girls are going to get to come out and be Belle for that number. Playing the Beast, or one of them anyway, is Ethan Harrell. He's been in a handful of plays for Backlight before, but he's really excited about this show because... I get to try out this cool Clancy Brown impression that I've been developing. I thought I told you to come down to dinner. Yeah, he's pretty scary. Ethan tells me there are lots of things he enjoys doing, like riding his scooter, watching cartoons, but getting to make friends and be part of these shows at Backlight brings him something more. (sighs) I don't have to worry about hustling. Yeah, what do you mean? Working every single moment of my life. He tells me he just gets to have fun. (laughs) Now I'd like to introduce a student of the Backlight Productions Theater School, Fernanda Aguilar. Fernanda, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you so much for being here. So I hear you'll be in one of the shows this weekend. Is that right? 
That is correct. Sunday, May 28th at 2 o'clock. It'll be great. All right, everybody. You heard it from her. That's where to be. Now, tell us this. What part are you playing? I am playing the part of Belle. I'm one of the Bells. I'm in the beginning of the play. You have any other additional parts? Aside from that, I play Belle in the end with the yellow ball gown. Aside from playing Belle in the beginning. Okay. Now, tell me, what are you excited about the show? For the show, I am extremely and extremely thrilled to play Belle because I have always loved that movie, but, and I'm excited to have my moment. And I just appreciate so much that the teachers believed in me and are giving me a chance to show what I can do. And the support of the audience, it means a lot, you know, come and support us because that's the best way to support us. It helps us know that we are doing a good job we want the whole experience just as if you saw a regular theater show. Mm-hmm. Now tell me, what has Backlight Productions provided for you? Backlight Productions has provided for me, aside from them helping achieve one of my biggest dreams, they have helped me feel like I, like I can do anything because oftentimes a lot of people tell us, no, you can't do this. You'd never be able to play this role. You'd never be able to do that. And Backlight um, has given me the opportunity to play this role. And most importantly, they've seen, they came in, they saw my abilities and they see what I could do. And they let me have my moment and my chance. Because a lot of times in regular theater, I, we, I wanted to do regular theater for so long. Oh, and we thought with my parents, oh, they're, it might not work because they're not accepting or they might not be able to give me a main role. And Backlight gave me that chance. They saw me for who I am and not for my disability. How'd that make you feel for them to see you for who you are? That made me feel valued as a person and proud because a lot of times some people see us for our disabilities and we're just people just like everybody else. And we have dreams. We want to do theater. We want to live, quote unquote, the best normal life we can. You know, we're human beings and we have feelings and it just made me feel like I belonged somewhere. I found a community. Mm. From listening to your voice, it definitely sounds like you are living your best life. Now, I'd like to introduce my next guest. Jeff Strand is the coordinator of government and external affairs at the Tennessee Disability Coalition. Jeff, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Now, I understand you advocate for people with disabilities. Tell me more about how you do that. Sure. So the Tennessee Disability Coalition is a coalition of over 40 uh, statewide organizations that uh, work with people of all ages, of all disability types, uh, of all strengths and needs. Uh, and what we provide at the disability community or uh, coalition is just kind of the spine for all of that. Um, we have a couple of direct service programs from a brain injury program to a peer-to-peer family uh, network called Family Voices. And then what I spend most of my time doing is kind of our policy wing that pursues uh, policy for people with disabilities, Tennesseans with disabilities that allow them to live their best life. What are some of the greatest needs this community here and what are some of the greatest needs the community here in our region have today? I think if we look at the needs of everybody, of every Tennessean, and we say that's you know employment, that's housing, that's access to education, those are needs that everybody has, but for the disability community, those are just exacerbated needs. Mm. Um, so when we look at living in Middle Tennessee, 
it's expensive for everybody. Uh, but we did some research with a, a UT Knoxville professor, uh, Stephen McGarity, who found that it costs 51% more uh, to achieve the same standard of living if you have a disability as if you did not have a disability. Mm. So thinking about what that means for housing, for transportation, for general goods and services that you need to live your best life, mm -hmm. uh, it's much more difficult for a person with a disability. How is it? How easy it is, is it for people to get the information they need to try to meet and, and get some of these services? It's difficult. Um, there are hundreds of disability-related organizations across the state, from nonprofits to thrift stores to, uh, uh, to playhouses and whatnot. And I think that speaks to the fact that people with disabilities need support in a lot of aspects of life. Not, not everyone, and each person with a disability is unique. Um, but I think what those organizations are representing are gaps that are left by, uh, you know, the state government, but also just generally for opportunities in our society that we live in a society and communities that are not built for people with disabilities. And all of these organizations, our organizations, the people who advocate for people with disabilities fill in those gaps. Now, you, you talk to lawmakers a lot. What are some of the biggest challenges that you face while you're talking to lawmakers about the community and the needs that they face? It's generally that they don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Like I mentioned before, disability is such a spectrum of strengths and needs, um, and each person is unique in those respects. Um, but lawmakers just kind of have no idea about that. And that's where self-advocates are so important to our policy work is that they can come in and be experts in themselves, and that's all we need is they need to come in and, and say, this is what I need to live my best life, to be independent, to pursue my goals. Um, and often lawmakers will listen. So some of the biggest obstacles are just that kind of information gap uh, between people with disabilities and those making choices about them. Now, Dave Krikak is still with us. Decades ago, you saw this need <clears throat> to find employment for people with disabilities, and you took those matters into your own hands. Tell me, what are some of the biggest gaps in the services that the state provides? Yeah, I think the uh, one little point that uh, I wanted to make was the fact that, <clears throat> you know, uh, Vanderbilt has this wonderful resource. We're talking about resources real quick, and I wanted to just jump on that real quick, that they've got this Pathfinder, which is a website that you could find out. And as a parent, it's just this great concierge for where do I go find services and how do I connect? And, you know, obviously if you're a special needs parent, you've got special needs uh, activities, you've got, you know, Special Olympics and best buddies. And so there's a small community of individuals, but I think the big gaps are um, not only does the state fund through 10 care and through department of intellectual disabilities, you know, these services, but how do the parents find that? So mm. I think there needs to be a special needs concierge for parents that when their kids are graduating, they say, uh-oh, now what? And, and basically introduce them while they're in high school in the part of this transition process to those services. Uh, Brad Turner, who's the uh, director of DIDD, has a, um, a child with disabilities. So I think they get that because they're living it. And I think that's huge. Uh, I know that um, there's a lot of folks that know of an individual with disabilities, have relatives with disabilities. So I think awareness is huge, and I appreciate what you guys are doing because it has to be an awareness campaign that just filters throughout all of the uh, state departments, uh, those that want to do something. Everybody can do something. We all need to do our part. Mm -hmm. uh, funding is a big issue. So, you know, getting the funding and making sure that it gets down to the individual that needs it is huge especially when it comes to housing. 
you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about the resources available to people with disabilities and their families. So just tweet us your comments at this is Nashville. Now, Fernanda, tell me, Fernanda, tell me, how did you find Backlight Productions? I found about Backlight Productions. I've known about it for a long time. My best buddy, one of my really good friends, she actually um, volunteered for Backlight Productions and she told me, I think you'd be great at, at a play. And she told me all about it and, and what they do. And I thought this would be great. I want to give it a shot. And I did. And I'm in it and I love it. And I never want to leave it. Mm-hmm. Now, outside of Backlight, where have you found the most support as you've navigated young adult life? My family, my parents have been very supportive. They always advocate for me. They're my biggest cheerleaders. They're everywhere. They go with me to everything. And they always make sure that I have all the supports I need. They're always looking for supports for me and making sure I have them. And my teacher from high school as well, she was a big support. She made sure that I had something that I could do after high school. She looked for me, spent countless hours helping me find something and, and, gave me the confidence and was there with me along with my family. And that really made me feel good and helped me a lot. You had that one amazing teacher. But tell me, as you think back, what do you wish had been available to you as you made the transition out of high school? Well, when I was making that transition, there was then the pandemic hit. So that made it hard, but something mm-hmm. Can you repeat the question again, please? You know, as you were, what do you wish you had available to you as you were coming out of high school? As I was coming out of high school, sometimes it can be really hard to find different programs and and different resources. And I think that maybe, you know, if I could have seen maybe some more re, some more places and there's a lot really hard sometimes to find to find, you know, what you're going to do when you graduate. And I think just, you know, maybe knowing about more places that I, well, more places. Mm-hmm. I understand. Now, now, Jeff, how, tell me this, how well are the programs and organizations here in the state, how well are they coordinated in their approach? That's, that's hard to say. I mean, there are lots and lots. And uh, I talked about before how they kind of represent the gaps that uh, exist in our state and from our state government and the services that they provide. Um, one th- one resource that I want to credit the state for that they've recently rolled out is their MAPS program. And that's kind of meant to get at that high school transition age. You know, there are a couple really big inflection points for parents of kids with disabilities in navigating the system. You know, when you first find out that your child has a disability, when you enter the school system and navigating special ed, and then that big point where all of that structure goes away and where, uh, you know, you're expected to go out and live in the community. Uh, the MAPS program uh, is for the transition period, the junior and senior year, and they work with kids and their families and their teachers to extend that support to help them find those resources to navigate the hundreds of organizations and uh, to really allow kids to pursue their interests. So I want to give credit where credit is due, but you know, that's a long time coming mm-hmm. and it is still, still really difficult for parents and caregivers and, and kids with disabilities to navigate that post-school life. So therefore the need for this sort of concierge that Dave yeah. is talking about to have. Right, exactly. That would be super helpful uh, for a ton of families because I really think that, 
you when you get to these inflection points, you pull up a, a web browser, and I would guess you just stare at it. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave, you've been through this as a parent. Yeah. What should families be keeping in mind, you know, as their child makes this transition into adulthood? Well, as you would expect, just like Barry, we're, we're advocates. At the end of the day, I'm Sarah's dad. I'm an advocate for her for her entire life. And, and I've, I've been a resource to other parents to direct them, to lead them to the water, right? Uh, and I think the big thing is to, to, to search out those opportunities, those parents that are at church, or at your synagogue or in the civil organizations, Special Olympics is an opportunity for parents to circle up. So really it's, it's gaining that information from lessons learned by other folks. Um, my wife and I have a hobby of starting other thrift stores that are going to employ special needs adults. We've done seven across the United States because people have searched the web and they found, oh, they, they launched a thrift store. So we help them by giving them our business plan, our financial plan, our marketing plan, and they're off and running. There's coffee shops. There's, you know, it's literally find out what your young adults are good at and mm-hmm. plug them into those opportunities in the community, whether it's an Honest Roasters Coffee, Papa C Pies, uh, Triple Crown Bakery in Franklin. There, there's opportunities that you go and uh, your customers for, and you might want to find out if they're putting boxes or bags together. You know, assembly work is huge for adults with special needs. They're great at fulfillment work. There's, you know, nonprofits. The collaboration opportunity is gigantic with nonprofits. Find out what they're doing and join them in it. You know, our, our kids go over and, and volunteer at One Gen Away, and they feed hundreds of families every weekend. They put together bags for them to for their mobile pantry. So we're taking our young adults over there to help them. So I think collaboration is is huge. Real, real quick, how's Sarah doing today? She's doing great. By the way, she's Bell number three. Okay, for the she's Bell number she's three. Bell number that, three. That's right. Now, now, Fernanda, last question for you. Tell me this: What do you want people to know about hiring and helping people with all abilities? I want people to know that we have a lot of valuable skills to bring to the table, and if you just give us a chance to see what we can do, there is a lot that we have to offer a lot and if you just give us the chance and let us try if it doesn't work it's okay but at least give us the chance to try because there's a lot of things we can do we have abilities not disabilities that is fernanda agular with the brentwood ymca and backlight productions break a leg in the show please she was joined by jeff strand with the tennessee disability coalition and dave krikak former owner of our thrift store thank you all for being here with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville. It's a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent and Demir Blade. Special thanks to Melissa Smith, Steve Cavendish, Tom Jadowski, and Rachel Kessner. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.